Hi everyone, I'm Colin McFader and I'm joined by Clark Coffey and this is the Soldiers of Cinema podcast, the Werner Herzog podcast where we talk about all things in his masterclass and go through those lessons as well as his broader scope of cinema. And today we're going to be talking about Lesson 12, which is Ooh. camera techniques oh, and it's all like the spatial orientation of the audience. Yeah, it's going to be Can great. Can you believe it? So, I, you know, I just want to say like a little, like just a, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just a little, like I just want to pat ourselves on the back a little bit here that we are on episode 11. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe 10 would have been the episode we should have been like, it's kind of an anniversary, even number. But I just want to say here at episode 11, I'm pretty excited. Mm-hmm. So Me too. Yeah, It's good to be here again a... with you, Cullen. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, but this is a really interesting lesson too. Oh, because it's, it's hugely not, important. Yeah, it's it's hugely important, but it's it's not. I, I think it's another one of those lessons where it's like the name of it, camera techniques, techniques might kind of trick you and make I you think agree. it's about something else. Agree, because um, you kind of right. You think of like when I think when I when I think of camera techniques, right? I'm thinking okay, like much more technical than what Herzog talks about in this class. I'm thinking about maybe like camera movements. I'm thinking. I mean, yeah, much more technical than what he discusses here. I feel like what he discusses here is actually really so much more about your actors and your set and Mm -hmm. manipulating those things spatially as opposed to uh, camera techniques, in my opinion, I think. Yeah, it's not about like dolly zooms and all that stuff. There's a bit of that. I mean, there's a bit of stuff about how you can use the camera to really you know either orient or disorient the audience but you're right it's a lot more about i would say the geography of scenes and spaces and how you can use the camera to show those things and use your actors in relation to the camera and it's hugely um, important i mean i you know i i don't know that we i'm not asking necessarily that we pick some specific film out uh to be mean maybe we should not do that but i'm sure all of us like you've seen a film i've watched films where the spatial orientation just gets jumbled Yes, and yeah. you're not quite sure like how spatially characters are are in relation to each other, and it's really I mean it just completely takes you out of the story, you know, because mm-hmm. then you're um, distracted by you know. I, I, all and this, I, yeah. you're totally right because now you've switched from okay I'm in the story to now you're like wait a minute where where is this where are they right now what what they were they were just at the house and now is this a different what huh well and, and another <laughs> thing that's interesting that Herzog mentions almost immediately is the 180 degree rule which of course is kind of that it's one of the most fundamental thing that's like absolutely. drilled into to, to anyone that's learning about film um, I'm gonna put you on the spot do you want to describe it real briefly for sure yeah so, just in I case mean, just in case Essentially, it would be that if I were, you know, the most simple way to describe it is if I'm having a conversation with Clark and we're facing each other, that if the camera is to my right shooting Clark over the over my shoulder or something mm-hmm. like that, that you would draw a 180 degree line between me and Clark and the camera could not cross over that. And right. so what that does is it makes sure that if now, if say, again, we're getting an over the shoulder of my right shoulder into you, Clark. And then if we were to cut to the same angle from you over your right shoulder into me, it would look like both of us were staring in the same direction. Your eye line, exactly, our eye lines. If, yeah. we, if you don't, if you jump that line, now eye lines look odd, and now the spatial relationship between those two characters, as it's seen by the audience, is totally confusing. You're like... Mm-hmm. And yeah. I sort of, I call it the primitive law of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and that's not meant in a, a bad way, um, but it's it's a simple, simple rule that is kind of necessary to keeping uh the audience in tune with the geography and i would also say too that there are there are certainly ways to break it 
Um, right. However, there are very specific, there's almost these like list of things that you have to check off if you are going to break it. Like, okay, do we see the change? Um, is it clear? Is there a clear like body of movement that's that's moving into the next shot that then continues there? So you know at least the directional like kind of you know focus of that right. movement from an actor or something like that. There's there's very specific things that you can do to break it. Um, but right. if you break it without doing those things, yeah, it's it going to definitely really elicit right. It's going to be quite jarring to an audience for sure. And and most people they won't even be able to necessarily say audiences would not not necessarily catch. Wait, you know, eye lines aren't matching. What's going on? I think they just jumped the line. But they're going to say, whoa, I this feels weird to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on? Are they talking to each other anymore? Or are they like talking to somebody else? Like yeah, are they staring in the same? It it turns from well, a conversation to somebody looking like they're in an audience, like discussing, and, you know, facing a <laughs> one place. And, you know, it's, um, and it's, I, I, I don't, I'm going to like go out on a limb here. I don't know that I have the vocabulary to articulate this, like how you would do this perfectly to kind of uh, verbally explain this uh, visual thing. But, I, you know, one of the most difficult things to film is like a, a scene where you've got four or five people sitting at a table, mm-hmm. eating, talking you know or it's uh, when you've got so many different eye lines you've got so many different people in this yeah. compressed dense area of space um and everyone is kind of you know at the same vertical height everybody's sitting down it can get really challenging well there's three i almost kind of describe it as there's three different ways you know of course there's more than three but there's three really common ways of dealing with something like that right um the first one i would say is just locking those characters down and doing the kind of mental work to make sure that you know where everyone's eye lines are and the yeah. camera's locked down and you just, you know, which can be super difficult. A movie that did it really well recently, though, was Knives Out, which has a huge cast of characters. Good And all example. these scenes where people are sitting in, you know, rooms together. Yes. And you, like, I can't imagine trying to focus on who's talking to who, when, where, what. Um, but it's very clear. But, yeah, I've, but it's, I've it's, seen it's the film really and they, well. do, they do a very good job. Right. Um, and the second one I would say is... You, Tarantino does it in uh, Reservoir Dogs around the table where the camera's actually spinning around the table at all times. Yes. That momentum that almost keeps it moving and even if there are it almost kind of and it's wide and let's and, and yeah. let you know just in case it's been a while since people have seen reservoir dogs uh, if if it has been a while you should go back and see it it's a great film um uh but yeah he keeps it very wide so yes. you're you're yeah. always you know whoever's talking to each other both peak characters are always in the shot yes so uh that is obviously another way to do it if you can and see then, both um, characters then their spatial orientation is obviously quite clear yeah and he he also one of the things that he does in that scene which makes it much easier if you're trying to do this is that even when the two characters are talking to each other oftentimes the character who's speaking is speaking to everybody so they can sort of go back and forth between the characters and even if you cut to them talking to one character and then suddenly they're talking to another in the next shot it makes sense because you could just assume okay he turned his head right um the last way that i usually see or that is kind of commonly seen is kind of something that bong joon ho does a lot which is just doing a one-er and not a moving one, but just setting up the characters if they're mm-hmm. sitting at a table, sort of Why? almost like Last Supper-like, yep. where they're all on one side, and they, the geography in this tableau is very interesting, and they sort of talk like that. Um, it's kind of Wes Anderson-esque, a, kind yes, of. Very theatrical. Yeah, exactly. yeah very theatrical, um, right. Which can work really well, and honestly, in terms of establishing geography is probably the easiest but it can be very difficult to get a shot like that to look good and it takes a lot of talent to kind of make it look like it's it is, intentional it is very difficult and it's mm-hmm. i would say i would even i would say look good that's one thing um it, it's going to automatically create a style for mm-hmm. your uh film 
if you're shooting those types of tableau type shots that's really difficult i mean it, it, it it's going to automatically you know put a twist on the style of the film that you may not want or may not be appropriate yes. or you know yeah. but i I mean, I um, I go back kind of to Wes Anderson. You look at all of his films. Now, obviously, there's more than this one component that, that makes up his style. But those kind of symmetrical tableau, everybody kind of in one shot that he does so much of, um, is kind of one of the things that first jumps out of, out of my mind. But it's, yeah. it's hard yeah. to not have that impact your style very significantly if you're shooting yes. that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, th- those are kind of, uh, interesting ways of shooting. Like, as you said, these, these wide, even if it's not necessarily people sitting at a table, as I mentioned at Knives Out, sometimes yeah. it's just like people in a living room on couches and chairs and stuff. And they're not necessarily in a circle either. Um, but that's such a key, key fundamental thing to understand is eye lines. And because it's, you, you know, there's nothing worse than watching, and it doesn't. I'm not even going to say student film because a lot of bigger budget movies do do this. Um, when you have a group of characters speaking and it just makes no sense, like who's talking right. to who? Where is that person looking? Well, Why is that person suddenly talking to that person when in the last shot they were looking at that person or they were even in a completely different position? Um, yeah, it can be really and, difficult to master. I mean, and so I think you know, you and I both agree, and I think you know, pretty much anybody would agree. Yes, this is important. Um, do you have anything I can kind of share a little bit about what I've done to kind of work on this for myself? If you might want to share some of what you've done, I think you know, first and foremost, I think as as someone who's a fan of film, I've watched film you know since I was knee high to a grasshopper, and uh, and and I've just steeped in it, you know, uh, visual storytelling, and so you start to pick up things. But of course, uh, this is something you can practice. Uh, when you're shooting and you don't even have to to necessarily have a film you know or a story that you're shooting you can get some friends together without a script and you can start shooting conversations and you can start practicing this stuff just in the comfort of your own home i don't know if you've ever done this i've done it on some complicated um uh shots where with a lot of characters and especially when i've got some action where i create an overhead and basically mm-hmm. like a schematic or like a blueprint, I guess would Who's, be a better. Yeah. yeah. And I've actually done that before just to kind of make sure, okay, I, I've got this kind of, you know, really thoroughly visualized in my head. I understand, you know, where characters going, where I'm going to put the camera. And then I can kind of visualize that, you know, what the edited result is going to end up looking like. And that's helped me a lot on set. So I don't get confused because it, you know, even when you've had a lot of uh, experience, which I, I'm not even saying I, I've had, I've definitely had moments where I'm on set and I'm like, OK, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, like, is OK, hold on now. Where do we, you know, how is this going to how do we need to set up the camera here or set up the characters to, to not get things confused? But those are some mm-hmm. things that I've done. I think there's even apps that are free or near free that make visualizing uh you know shots like this very simple for ipads or ios or something like that but any suggestions you might have or you know ways that you I mean, have found have been effective i think a lot of it is it's intuitive a, but i was gonna say it's a boring answer for me it's just prepare um, yeah i i think you know shot listing and um yep. and just getting it down sometimes not as like i wouldn't necessarily say that i storyboard very frequently right um me neither but, um utilizing a type sort of a proto storyboard for things like this where like you said where it's maybe it's not necessarily the actual shots to shot on the on the 
storyboard yeah, for me it's like an overhead map. yeah yeah for me it's yeah. like literally an overhead and i just have like circles for characters and a you know triangle for the camera yeah and i just you know simply like the space that i'm in i mean it's literally like a blueprint and mm -hmm. i'm just making sure you know and i can kind of have axes drawn and i'm kind of like okay you know i've got x number of characters and here's who's going to be speaking and here's where they're moving and you know but uh, yeah a lot of it is kind of i think just doing it over time you start to get there but uh, hopefully it, it, the, your the DP that you're working with is also there to help just make sure, you know, yes, <laughs> that yeah. you're not well, making it's, any it's, mistakes. That's what's funny is that scenes like these can often be the longest to shoot. Yeah. Because not only do you have to work out the spatial orientation of the camera in relation to the actors, you also have to make sure that at every angle there's no lights in the shot, there's no reflections, there's yeah. no uh, equipment in the background for some reason. I mean, I was a big challenge with the Hitchcock movie that we just made. Right. Um, was getting both reflections out of windows and being able to light the room um without you know changing lighting to such a degree when we turn around the camera to the other angle yeah suddenly you know you have to figure okay that light was there now we got to move it over here but that looks too different from the last shot if that source was coming from there so it can be very it can be a really big headache and that's and, why well, you know, you're bringing up a really good point let's talk about this a little bit more because you know up until this point we've basically been talking about the spatial orientation of characters mm -hmm. um but you're talking but but there's so much more right your yes, your yeah. motivated lighting like where is lighting coming from keeping that consistent you know still maintaining a, an appropriately lit scene uh to the aesthetic that you're working to achieve or just you know for, for the sake of competency to have it lit well um, as you as you're turning the camera around and moving things back and forth to to make sure that these other aspects are consistent spatially as well an audience may not be able to pick out exactly what's up but if lights start to come from all different areas you know mm -hmm. and it's like windows seem to disappear and reappear on different sides of things uh, that's definitely gonna I, I think pull people out of the story and I think it's that that amateur thing that everybody has done when they start making movies which is just like okay we've got a light over here for this angle and then the reverse angle we're just turning the light around we'll just turn it yeah and it's like well where's that light coming where's you know, the, light the best coming? Yeah. the best lighting setups are the ones that you have to do very very little um, change to if the angle switches that you that you light the space like it's right you know it's authentic and it's real and you're kind of in there right um and I think that the other thing too, uh, that that really helped me with um, the the Hitchcock movie in particular, and this is if you have the space available to you in advance, is I did an entire previs of the entire movie. So absolutely every single shot I shot and I lit as as it would be in the movie, so that I knew, you know, okay, I'm standing here for this shot, and then it gets a reverse on me. The lighting has to be the same. Say I've got a light hitting the back of my neck because you see me in both shots. Yeah. Um, where can I put the light that's not going to be seen in either? Kind of things like that. That And then right. again, because I was doing a previs and I was actually seeing you worked it on it camera, you worked I was it able out. to, you know, spend yeah. a night literally just moving things around and making sure that it worked. So then the crew got there and I could just be like, okay, this needs to be there, there, there. There was none of that kind of like trial and error on yeah. the day. Well, and I will, I will say though, too, you know, on the flip side, on the flips, I mean, we've talked about kind of, you know, spatial orientation, geography, um, you know, just maintaining consistency such that you're not um, breaking cinematic grammar and taking people out of the story. But mm -hmm. there's also, you know, uh, th this is, there's a great opportunity here in this, the spatial orientation of all of your, of everything in your uh, mise en scene, right? That, these are great opportunities for storytelling 
the mm-hmm. position of your characters, you know, re- relative to each other. There's so much that you can do there uh, to convey more story. Uh, this character sitting above or standing above another character, how far characters are from each other. Uh, this has, you know, it tells us a huge amount Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a big difference between, you know, right. Is there, you yeah. know, is there, are there objects between two characters? Are there eye lines occluded or, you know, are they speaking through a way? I mean, there's just so much that you can do with the and geography that's a great of characters. Point to play with the, the camera as a third character too. Yeah. Um, is to, you know, if the character is supposed to feel cold and kind of sterile, then zoom in on them from a distance and don't right. have the camera near them. Whereas if they're supposed to be warm and welcoming, then you right know, there physically. maybe get, get closer to them and things like that. And the Coen brothers are really great at doing that because so many of their scenes, their, their kind of dialogue, shot over shot um, scenes that are very, very basic scenes when you think about it geographically, um, but they still, exactly what you said, use those opportunities to tell stories. So because so many of those scenes and the Coen brothers kind of style is to make things very not intimate between two characters, very awkward, very kind of dry humor. Um, Exactly. Estranged. So what they do is often plop the camera between the characters and then just use wide lenses. So it feels like they're further away from the camera that they actually are, which is I think quite genius, but very simple. Well, and, and we, it's also, you know, there's great opportunities for suspense uh, for foreshadowing, uh, great opportunities to kind of set up story or plot points uh, so that you can knock them down or pay them off later on. Mm-hmm. You know, in our brief conversation prior to recording here, you were talking about uh, a Hitchcock flick specifically. Tell us a yes. little bit about that, The Shadow of a Doubt, which is a yeah. 1943 uh, film by Hitchcock. Uh, t- like, that was a great example, I felt like, uh, where he had kind of established the geography of the, of the house, of the setting, and use that as it. Well, why, don't, why don't you just go ahead and kind of reiterate some of what you were talking about earlier? I thought that was a great example. Well, I'd say it's it's super important in any genre, but in horror especially, or in thrillers, or something that's supposed to you know scare an audience, it can be yeah. super super vital to really lay out geography so that you can use that to your advantage to scare people afterwards and things like that. Um, right. And in Shadow of a Doubt, um, you've got essentially the the movie takes place in a small town, but primarily in a house. And uh, the house has two entrances. It's got a main floor entrance at the front and then a second story entrance at the back, which is up a series of stairs. And what Hitchcock does is very early on in the movie establishes um, the two entrances to the house and one as being kind of a safe entrance, that being the front door that mm-hmm. the good people come through and the other being the, the, good the, the bad entrance that the, the killer right. comes through, which is her uncle. Yeah. Um, and that's not a spoiler because that's very much established right at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> I'm, but, I'm uh, thinking 1943. Yeah, you're yeah. okay. We <laughs> you're didn't have to have do that. spoiler alert. Maybe, yeah. maybe we'll go back and we'll put, you know, uh, It's only been warning. out for 70 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Only up but, for 70 um, years. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so you, and so what you wind up having is that um, because we understand the geography of the house so well, that later on you can use sound or Hitchcock does use sound to establish when danger is near mm-hmm. because we know that this staircase is at the back of the house. We know it creaks and we yeah. know the only person that uses it is this killer who then, you know, there's moments where they're in the house and they're not paying attention and suddenly you hear this creak. You know exactly where the character's coming in. You know where our characters need to be. So yeah. that Hitchcock is able to then put them in different places in the house where you're going, well, why are you going there? Because he's coming in right there. And it's really, you know, it, it's a great it adds example. This tension. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a great example. And, and I think that even just like you said, that this this spatial orientation again, just to more on a broad level of like horror movies in general, um, 
so often is it about that about you know how many horror movies take place in houses where the characters are newly moved in or something and the first scene is them walking around the house and going oh this is my room this is my room this is my room and you get this whole idea of like yep exactly poltergeist Uh, the exorcist is is of course the the, they don't you don't see them moving in but they're in a house that is kind of being rented for the mother's movie uh um acting career um and you like you know how many times can you picture that that long hallway in a house and it's like geography can be so important for for horror i mean as it Ooh. is for any genre but but it's just a great example of how to use it in genre for sure how to well use it for it to your example or your advantage at the risk of getting way off track you talk about horror and the importance of of spatial orientation uh, and being clear on it, uh, The Shining is a very interesting film to talk mm-hmm. about. Uh, in and disorienting, to, too. And, and so, right, which his, which Hitchcock also talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so here this whole time, we're kind of talking about the importance of, uh, of being clear and communicating, you know, that spatial orientation clearly. But there are definitely points in time where it could be beneficial to disorient your... Yeah your audience uh in in the lesson here in hers like lesson he uses the example of lessons of darkness um where you know he's filming this just extraordinarily i mean i it's it's so horrific and 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 just awesome in the real meaning of that word the scope Mm -hmm. of this and what's happening is just it's surreal it's like you can't even take this in and i think you know if he were to have tried to capture that more in a journalistic sense I, I just can't imagine that it would have had the kind of impact that it had, you know, how he actually did the film in a very surreal yes. way. Yeah. But that disorientation, I think, is so beautiful in that film because what's happening is so disorientating. It's like, it's just, it, it's like you can't even, I can't even hardly articulate. I mean, to just see the world on fire and these fields of oil just burning in a, in a black sky. And his description sky. of it being shot like it's an alien right. witness to this stuff. Right. It's, it's so... There's no explain, explanation of the events. There's no no no. There's no story. You know, there's in a no historical sense. context. Exactly. There's. Right. It's just this probably the most bizarre landscape you could think of. It's an abstraction. Of these oil fields just being you know burst into flames, but it looks like living hell. It's incredible. Yeah. So he, at, he uses that to his advantage most certainly, especially when the camera flips upside down. There's that famous right. shot where it's where the fire is right shooting down well. out of the yeah, yeah right. And then suddenly everything is is like it's it's as he puts it, and very literally, the world is turned completely upside down. Yeah, um, which, which is, is a great example of you know exactly what we're talking about. Agreed. And so that's you know an example he uses, but you know to go back to horror. I mean, in The Shining, where. You know, and there's a lot of kind of mythology about this film and a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, urban myths and a whole lot of stuff going on. So we don't have to get into too much. But I mean, and I'm not an expert scholar of the film, but I think he does. Kubrick does interesting things with the the spatial orientation of, of hallways and rooms and things. Right. That's kind of not quite right. And a little the, bit well, the maze of is different in every single is, shot. Yeah. I think so, that they change the layout of the maze in every single scene that it's in. Right. Which is and, really neat. It is. And so there are definitely moments where, yeah. you know, to shake things up and to, you know, if, if the story calls for, uh, you know, some confusion, that could be potentially a great way to illustrate that uh, visually. But mm-hmm. uh, and, Well, so, yeah. here's an example of that very, you know, close to me right now that I can speak to very well is just the feature that I'm working on right now. Okay. Which is, so to put into context the difference between disorienting and orienting an audience, um, 
the initial draft of the script that we had done, my main concern was how disorienting it was. There was a mm. lot of running from the backyard to the front yard, you know, up the stairs, down the stairs, all this stuff. Mm. And I was like, we need a way to orient the audience to this house because it's not intentional there. Yeah. It's completely unintentional. Just it was the character needing to go to places and us following. And it, it felt really disoriented. So we wound up just changing out the whole intro of the movie so that we do learn where everything is and what's going on. And then yeah. later on, though, you can use that to disorient an audience by changing things just like in The Shining, where yeah. whether it's, you know, I'm not, there's nothing in the movie that actually physically changes like to the degree that it does in The Shining where, you know, hallways change and things like that. But um, just changing the, like, you know, it goes from day to night and it's pitch black inside yeah. and you don't know what's going on and things like that, that, you know, you're, you're, dis, you're intentionally disorienting the audience for a response um, whereas that can be very different from unintentionally disorienting sure. an audience, like in a lot of action movies where you've got the shaky cam and oh cut, god, cut, and cut, horrible cut, cut editing, between. and yeah, yeah, oh, don't get me started on that. It's this is one of my biggest pet peeves and frustrations. Mm -hmm. With uh, and you and I were actually kind of discussing Marvel movies uh, for a, a minute here before we started recording, and it's you know sadly, and I, I guess I get why, especially in television, because it's so much cheaper. It's so much easier to sh to just shoot action. Uh, chop it up into tiny little pieces and have mm -hmm. a shaky cam and a bunch of quick edits uh, and use that to impart the the violence in the yeah. in the intensity and doing intensity this. with air quotes right um, but, but of course to actually have a, you know long shots and and really long wide shots and actually see what's going on requires i mean it's just much more difficult to shoot but yeah that's a whole other <laughs> and i do actually want to mention in in close relation to this um that He's kind of got a bad rap, but he's a very interesting director to study because oftentimes of the things that he likes. But Michael Bay okay. is a huge fan. Like West Side Story <laughs> is Michael Bay's favorite movie. Okay. Um, he, he loves West Side Story. And what's interesting about Michael Bay is that you can actually see the way that he uses the geographic setups in a song like America in West Side Story mm -hmm. in his action scenes. And that's honestly... Even though he does kind of have that stereotype about him about about shaky cam and, and kind of quick edits and things like yeah. that, I actually rewatched the first ti uh, Transformers recently. Okay, um, I'm surprised. Weirdly enough, it's quite geographic. Like it makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of cuts in these action scenes. There's a lot of shaky cam. Yeah. But he does a lot of work to establish where everything is. When you feel like is, he keeps it clear, huh? Which I is really speak, interesting. I, I um, can't speak to it myself. I I don't think I've actually. Is that the one with Shia LaBeouf? Yeah, Shia LaBeouf. Okay. It's in I may Fox. have actually seen it when it first came out, or you know. I yeah. I don't think I'd seen it since it came out. I think uh, I don't even know how, I how old is that movie now. 15, 2007, I think it was okay, when it came out. Wow. And wow. I saw it in theaters when it came out. And I, I think that I haven't seen it pretty much since then. But I was expecting going into it a lot of exactly what we're talking about in the negative sense where it's yeah, like things yeah. don't make sense. But he actually, and I think I owe it a lot to his love of West Side Story and these Golden Age musicals where it's like, I mean, if you when you get down well, to that's it, a you're beautiful... essentially filming these things in, a, in the same way. You know, one's an yeah. action scene and one's a big dance sequence, but they're both massive set pieces with lots of moving with parts. With lots of movement, yeah. Um, and that's a good it point. it makes sense that he likes it. Whereas on the other spectrum of this um the man of steel movies those newer superman which i've not seen any of those which i yeah. i not seen since they I were in theaters speak. um but the final fight in man of steel is kind of a historically famous 
Bad. example of like not making any sense they're just uh, kind of throwing people into buildings and, yeah. and like just, just dust and it's just dark every and it, yeah. right and you just have these cuts that are you know a quarter of a second long with just a fist and a foot and yeah. i've not and seen a, it but I, i've seen exam you know similar other you know other examples like this yeah. where it's just Complete don't even know geography. what's going on i mean it's clear that they just filmed a bunch of fighting they took a bunch of takes they just chopped up a bunch of in this place yeah. like these you know fractions of a second long and you usually you've got a lot of inserts and a lot you know to try to impart part the impact of you know fist and feet and whatever else mm -hmm. and it's just ah yeah um and then of course there are other examples of uh of extraordinary um there's a couple things like what was the is it is it old boy the original one is that where there's like some the really, hallway yeah there's the, the hallway, hallway scene, scene and i think uh was it Daredevil kind of copied that scene in one of their... Yeah, uh, I never watched Daredevil, but I know the scene you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about, They always ended the yeah. season with like a one-er kind of thing that was inspired by... Well, right. I mean, it, again, and that's why action... That's why I kind of wanted to talk about action and horror because they're, they're two movies that are very easy to kind of point out the technique behind. Yeah. Um, but you and even look at study. the difference between something like, you know, um, you know, let's talk about a very famous movie, Star Wars. Um the difference between the fight between some like the Luke and Vader fight in Empire when mm -hmm. they're on Cloud City and that it's very methodical. Every shot is planned out. Everything makes sense. You know, a sweep of movement in one direction matches mm -hmm. with the next shot and things like that. Right. Um, and then you look at some of the, the fights from the prequel trilogy uh, and they're just all over the place. It's, it's very much, uh, it turns into that more kind of marvel style of filmmaking where as you said you're just kind of getting a series of vfx plates and then cutting them all yeah. together and yeah. just hoping that it mixes and oftentimes you know it may look similar and, and look congruent but there's something missing i think subconsciously where you're just kind of going well that doesn't really feel like real I, I, it doesn't I feel think, well, you know, I think fluid it, it, and it kind of honestly i mean i think a lot of that translate to boredom frankly i mm -hmm. think again i uh, i don't think that the average audience you know you're yeah, i mean you isn't going to be able to articulate they, they're not formulating in their mind oh you know the, the this there's like a spatial geography problem here and you know I, or the, these edits are so are quick and there's everything is such a there's such close shots i can't tell who's who. i mean it's unlikely they're going to articulate things like mm -hmm. this but i think it just like fundamentally it just manifests itself right as like boredom they're like eh, i'm not in this i'm not in the yeah. story i don't you know yeah. um and, and that's and, the big danger about you know just to go back to geography is that I think that people check out if things don't make sense right. or non-intentionally make sense because I think that, you know, something like The Shining that does it really well and intentionally and right. is planned out and methodical about it, then that draws an audience in and it's further. With it, and it's within but, an infrastructure of understanding. It's yes, you, you, it's yeah. not that you don't understand everything. It's like you've created, like you've you've taken the time, you've created an infrastructure of understanding. You, mm -hmm. you, your audience knows what's going on, but there's a space. There's a so space where the there's disorientation. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but no, I, I think that, again, yeah, you can have an audience check out at the snap of a finger if, if you don't really pay attention to this stuff because you're only going to, you know, film is technically a passive medium. You're not thinking about every single shot as you see it. It's not like reading where you have to read. Right. Um, it, you're just... You're, you're being flashed images at your face that you your brain makes sense of. Correct, And yeah. if your brain is now requiring you to actively make work or make sense of what's going on, in a negative sense where you're just kind of like i'm confused then yeah you're probably gonna check out of that movie out. and go yeah. i'm done um, well it's a good thing you it, you know it's a good point that you make i think you know looking at musicals looking at horror films and looking at how action are shot i mean these 
these films can contain some of the most complicated and extreme examples of um, maintaining or man- and manipulating uh, the spatial orientation of mm-hmm. characters and objects. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's great advice. I especially like your idea, you know, that looking at musicals, uh, those often involve a lot of people. Um, and there's some like really interesting things to learn, I think, from watching a lot of uh, musicals. Um, yeah, so, totally. Yeah, 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 for sure. I think, you know, it, it's interesting, too. So, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, the importance of geography. Uh, and then we've talked about kind of ways, you know, when it might be appropriate to disorient your audience by manipulating those things. You know, uh, Herzog mentions a couple other things, kind of smaller, but let's touch on them here. You know, he talks about the Kinski spiral, Mm -hmm. which uh, is funny. I think both of us, when we were originally taking this class and we were doing one of the exercises, I think you and I both, you know, both um, had a character interframe using this Kinski spiral. Yes. Uh, I think it was part of the homework. I don't remember exactly, but I think we had to make a short, a short film. And it was like, okay, you've got to make it, you know, really quickly and and use it somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny, you know, I don't know that I'd ever con consciously recognize this uh, except to say i mean i definitely you know we see the example of kinski um in a gary and then we see the example of nicholas cage in mm-hmm. bad lieutenant yeah. and uh i i may I, I may not have been able to have pointed out like oh there's kinski spiral because i didn't even the know there was a name for it yeah. <laughs> right but but i certainly recall like the overall impact of how what an interesting way to enter frame. Yes. And, yeah. and re, you know, and for me, just to kind of expand that past, just this one very specific thing, it's a good reminder of how important the physicality is of, of your actors and that, and that you and I have talked about this in another episode where we talked about wanting to direct right there from the camera, being right next to the action um, and how it's a dance. It's a, it's a physicality. You're in a rhythm uh, especially when you're operating, you're there in the scene mm-hmm. with the actor. I mean, you are absolutely yeah. in this scene. Um, it just so happens that you're not on film, but you are definitely in the scene. And um, I think this really speaks to the importance of physicality. And so working with your actors on that, um, I think there's a there's another place where Herzog talks about how he talked with you know worked with Nicolas Cage on the physicality of his and also and with the Gary interestingly and they're very similarly they have very similar physicalities yeah, um, yeah. Herzog talks about you know the uneven shoulders and you know uh, kind a, of a Gary has like a misformed, misformed arm yeah. and Cage's character has you know a broken back and his you know it's kind of twisted and his shoulders are are uneven and staggered but um uh, you know just one more example of how important that is uh, there's so much power can be had i mean again it's a visual medium right yeah. and i think it's obvious but i think it's so obvious that it's almost forgotten sometimes i see and so many examples of of where people are trying to to say everything there is to say about a character through the dialogue yes exactly and, yeah. and, and show and don't you, tell you i mean that's yeah <laughs> yeah and i'm like just don't forget just don't forget there's this whole world that you can explore with how you manipulate, you know, what kind of physicality are you creating for the characters? But then, but in, in conjunction, I mean, the spiral is a great example of, okay, there's the physicality of the actor, but then how does that 
dance take place then what's the tango with the camera and the actor with that Mm -hmm. physicality together it's just a great example and just to Real quickly, just to explain what the Kinski spiral is. Oh, um, of in course, case yeah, of know, course. Just in it's, case. Good it's, point, it's, good point. It's basically if you had a camera on a tripod um, that I, as the actor, would be standing right next to it, like right pressed pretty much right up against the camera, but not on camera. So like right to camera left or something. Mm. Um, or it could be camera right if you were to reverse it. Um, and then I would take pretty much my left leg and step right across, right into frame, and my face would be so close to the camera, and I almost spin as I do it, and then right, take you're a few like steps twisting. Back. It's almost yeah. like a twist, like your body is twisting around mm-hmm. into the front of the camera. Yeah, I'm sure that you can, if you Google the Kinski sp- spiral, it, it should come up, but it's a very, very distinct very way of entering frame. Um, yeah, and I think that it's a great example again of, of kind of again as you said that that bond between camera and camera movement and actors and the space and things like that so i've Uh, just confirmed i've just confirmed if you google kinski spiral yes and not only that now this this is awesome okay so you got nick cage and his in performance uh in bad lieutenant of course you've got kinski's in a gary i have not seen this yet but apparently nicole kidman does this in queen of the desert as well Oh, interesting. Okay. I am I am yeah. going to check that out as soon Me as too. this podcast, as soon as we're done recording this. But I am like, hmm, I didn't Nicole know Kinder. that. So, yeah. okay. So clearly, clearly, uh, Herzog really loves this move and is still, well, Queen of the Desert is now a five-year-old flick. But still, in a, in a more recent film, he's using it. But mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, one of the other, like, kind of physicalities that he talks about uh, is the Nazarian walk. Mm-hmm. And this one was, I'm going to have to admit, I'll have to admit, it wasn't as immediately obvious to me what he was doing here. I didn't feel like the impact was as pronounced as the Kinski spiral. The spiral, I, I, I think I, I sort of got it on it, weirdly enough. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, why don't you describe it then? Like, uh, articulate for the people at home what you feel like Herzog is trying to do with the Nazarian walk and how he's so, doing it. Very, very simply, it's a way of almost cutting together a, I guess, montage would be a good word for it, of, of far distances traveled. Mm. And the way that he does it is he positions the actor really close to camera to start and then almost has the camera spiral, spiral up really at a really intense right. angle and then follow them off into the distance. And if you keep cutting between these different shots... It just gives the impression that because the actor starts so close to the camera and then ends in the shot so far oh, wait, so that they're traveling that. over distance. So I missed that. So so are you saying that it's a it's like a string of cuts that he's, he's putting to he's putting a string of these shots together? I'm not necessarily sure if it has to be a string or not. Okay. Um, or, okay. But if you know, even just having one, just it's having still it one. just because it's such a visceral dif- difference between right. you know being so close and then suddenly at the end you're so. I almost Far. feel. I mean, I almost feel like I get a sense of you know in my interpretation, or just what I felt. It's not even interpretation, but just what my kind of intuitive reaction to it was was that it's almost like, like the actor. It, you get a sense that the actor is actually walking from behind the camera, mm-hmm. and so that's what gives a sense that that this actor has been moving right. That that he didn't. It wasn't just action, and he just or she, of course, just walked in you know uh, right there it gives a sense that like that this character has been walking from far behind the camera comes up over the camera and then we kind of pick it up yeah and, and the we camera see the finds them. yeah right i think so that's okay yeah that's kind of uh i appreciate you helping me kind of sort that out when i first just a quick side note too i do like hmm. 
I do love his little names that he gives all these little techniques that he has. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is quite nice. It is quite yeah. nice. Well, it's look, it's speaking. Okay. And to finish up, to finish up the episode, speaking of loving Herzog, the iguanas, mm, I think, it, yes. I think it's kind of funny that they put this. I mean, I feel like it's, you know, the last third or so of this lesson he's talking about iguanas and <laughs> he you know, spends a long time on it yeah. he spends a long time now of course you know herzog animals play a vital role in so many of his films uh it's a big part of his storytelling kind of repertoire uh especially chickens um which yeah, we i think we may them. talk about in another lesson i'm not sure but but he uses an example here so going back to um bad lieutenant uh, he's talking about Nick Cage is this like drugged out dude, uh, police officer, and there's an iguana in a room. And I think right he Herzog is using like this this small little kind of pinhole camera. Not, I'm not sure exactly what exact camera. He's it's almost using. like a probe camera of some sort. So, like yeah, it's like a tiny something little, yeah. tiny little like super wide angle, but very small. I think anyway, and it's kind of like the iguana's POV almost, right? And it's kind of. You know, he's utilizing this to, to, to show us, to kind of put us inside the mind of Nick Cage, that he's this, the surrealness and the kind of, you know, disorientation and, you know, this addled kind of place that Nick is in, or mm-hmm. his character is in, rather. But um, it's it's pretty hysterical. I <laughs> Herzog, yeah. Herzog talks about the, the, the iguana biting him and, you know, and, and like he, you know, the iguana bit his hand or something, I guess, and he could barely pry the jaws of this iguana <laughs> off his hand. It's I, I don't know. It just illustrates once more. Look, like not everything has to be uh, anything more than just a good story. And I almost feel like this last part is just a good story for yeah. Herzog. Yeah. And it's very, I mean, the shot is very interesting looking for sure, but I almost find that the more the interesting story behind of this it. part is the story yeah yeah exactly. yeah for sure it's a good and his, story and it's almost like his his dedication to telling the story that's so great there's um, only, well and there's no question i mean and and i i think not to again we'll, we can wrap this up here in a few minutes but it you know look uh her you know just a sidestep here for just a second i mean as you know an aspiring director or filmmaker out there for everybody you know i am you are cullen uh, I'm assuming many people in the audience would are, are aspiring filmmakers. If you're interested in the masterclass uh, lesson, you know you've probably been trying to pick up some pointers, right? Um, I, you know, I think it's such it's such an important lesson to learn here. Uh, you see Herzog, you see how, and this is all within an absolute, like he is absolutely authentic. This is it's him. So I, this is not some fake kind of marketing thing but you know he has created such an extraordinary character that is him Mm -hmm. um and and i you you speak to the devotion with which he you know or the dedication with which he tells the story and i think almost every story i mean it's you know uh these things are very important to him uh and i think he does a good job of honestly like not taking himself too seriously but he takes what he does of course like clearly very seriously yeah but i just love i mean it's that intensity it's that dedication it's that you know uh he pulls you on board when he's telling stories he's so clearly just you know a good storyteller but it's Mm -hmm. it's just it's it's kind of good just you know to have an example to kind of watch him uh talk about his stories that's something that directors have to do. You have to talk about your stories to uh, your fellow cast and crew. You have to share your vision with them. You, you know, hopefully you get to a place where you're having to share your vision with press. Um, mm-hmm. 
and whether this is at you know just speaking at a Q&A at a small festival or you're being interviewed for you know variety I mean uh, it's a big part of, of what you'll have to do as a successful filmmaker and uh, you could do a lot worse than watching him and learning from him yeah totally so all right well I think unless you've got anything else to add no I'm I'm, I'm good you're done you're done yeah. I'm like man I'm out of here <laughs> I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go shoot something yeah see ya uh, well yeah you, you do have a few projects uh <laughs> i both do, do yeah. so that's yeah. so this is good this is exciting and maybe in a future episode we can share a little bit more about uh some of these exciting things that are happening with our own projects but yeah. until then colin as always thank you so much yeah, it's been a pleasure you. and everybody listening out there we appreciate it we hope that it's uh, uh entertaining informative and heck even if you're just laughing at us as long as you laugh that's all we care about. Exactly. All right. <laughs> so and, until next week where we will be discussing what's next week. It's lesson 13, lucky mm-hmm. 13, working with actors. Ooh, I'm and I'm really excited about this one. Yeah. This is probably because I've spent so much time on as an actor on the other side. Uh, I'm really excited um, about this one. I'll look forward to it. All right. Well, until then, everybody, take care. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.